0: Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that all things will pass away, but your word will never pass away. I thank you that your word is living and active. I thank you for the authority of your word. I pray this morning, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, that you would illumine the word of God into people's hearts. in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we have, uh, we can, I'm just going to do a second part. We're looking at something about Eliezer. stand your ground. It's something that God put on my heart in November, and it's just been, it's a short little story, but it's been going round and round and round in my heart, and the Lord just began to speak to me prophetically out of that. And Last week I which I don't normally do. I don't know if I've actually done it before. I took about 10, 15 minutes to just say what I feel the Lord is saying prophetically over the next season, not just of us, but just across, not just, I wouldn't say globally, but in our region. And I really, if you want to, it's online, you can go look at that. But there's something that I see just of the awakening of the hearts of men and women. You know, God is coming for the heart. He really, really is. He's coming for the heart because he's coming to to break some structures and boxes and things that we've put him in. And I've come to understand that even in the natural, when you have a relationship with someone and you know them and they know you and they do something out of ordinary, out of what you're accustomed to, you trust the heart and you can accept what's different and what's new. And, you know, I believe the Lord is coming for the heart in in such a powerful way. It's to grab the hearts of people, and it's to develop such intimacy with the Lord so that when He's changing and and changing what church looks like, He's changing structures and systems, and when that happens, people get, ah, this is not right, this is not normal. And, you know, when you have the Lord like that, when He's with you like that, it's okay. And he's coming for the heart. And I really, really believe that. So I want to give some basics today. I I will repeat some of last week. Uh, It just will happen. But um, I'm trying to be practical. You know, and I'm trusting that that's it's something you can take home. You know, it's, basics, are, a lot of you know the stuff. And I don't mean this in a harsh way at all, but I find in my life, in everybody's life, we, a lot of people know the basics. We've heard some just basic things, but it doesn't mean we do them. You know, and it's, it's interesting to me, and I find, it's like little things, you know, when you were at children's church, read your Bible, pray every day, and that becomes legalistic, and, uh, you know, then we fight that. But the truth is that, When we do the basics, it's an amazing shift that begins to take place. And when we don't, it's like we know the answers, but there's no lifestyle behind it. We start to look for the the fantastic and the amazing truths and like some secret things. You know, and we, we get into some stuff and look at this amazing, wonderful, mystical thing over here. And, and yet the reality is we're looking for different answers because the ones that we have, it's, it's like, well, it's got to be more. But when you experience the Lord, you know, when you know the Lord, that is the definition of eternal life, to know God. Then all you want to do is be with Him and then you, you don't care about all that stuff, yeah? And he speaks to all people all the time. Even last night, we had a wonderful encounter night last night. I was just walking out the door, I was the last person to leave the building and some of the cleaners were here. we have a cleaning company and as I walk past this young girl, obviously she was there with her mother, the Lord spoke to me. You know, it's because he, he's so, he loves people more than we could ever fathom. Really. And I just saw all the dreams in her heart. And I saw her sitting at night saying, Lord, surely my life is more, it's like the future, surely my life is more than this. I don't want to become this. You know. And I just said to her, you know, you have a dream and it's this and this and she just began to weep. (laughs) Because people out there, they, they don't know how good he is. Yeah? And you pass them by every moment. So, We're going to go to 1 Chronicles 11. 1 Chronicles 11. The story we're reading is about David's mighty men. And I believe it's because the Lord is longing for the mighty people of God. You know, in the Judges with, you know, Moses and Aaron and then into Samuel and then Judges and, all, I mean, Samuel came after, but all the, it's always the mighty man of God, the mighty woman of God, the mighty person. You know, even with David, he was the mighty man of God. But under David, there's a kingdom era that he lives as a prophetic. This is what's coming. And under David's reign, in a sense, Jesus is the son of David. You see the mighty men of God. It's Then Jesus comes along, and you again see the mighty men of God, multiple people. And it is, I believe, the desire of the Lord's heart again to see the mighty people, not the one, the people of God. So, 1 Chronicles 11, we're going to go to verse 10, and it says this. These were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Go to verse 12. It says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dadai, the Aohite, who was one of the three mighty men. And he was with David at Pastimim. Now there, were the, there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a piece of ground full of barley, so the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves in the middle of that field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and so the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, if you could go back to 2 Samuel 23, we'll read the same story. Verses 8 to 12, it says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had: Joshesh, best, that guy, the Takmanite, Chief among the captains, he was called Adino the End Knight because he killed 800 men at one time. Please remember, we don't fight flesh and blood. You know, I've said this again and again. People, you know, David, Lord, smash their teeth in their mouth. That's how he prayed. You don't pray like that because he won't answer that prayer. You know, it's now, it's, we fight against principalities' powers, yet to fight is not to focus on warfare. It says, and after him was Eliezer, verse 9, Eliazar of Dodai, or Dodo, the Eohite, one of three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword, his hand claved to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and and the people returned after him only to plunder. So what did Eleazar do? This is how he won a name among the men of David. What did he do? Well, everyone's running. The people of God were running away. From what? The enemy. It's like today. They're running away from the culture from whatever. The people of God are running away, and he comes to this place called Pastamim. So I'm giving you a little bit of just the bottom line up front. It just makes it easier to understand. They come to this place, and I don't have the time to get in all the study. I looked at maps. It took me a day and a half to really make sure. I encourage you to go study it. Pastamim in 1 Samuel 17, it's the same place mentioned where David fought and won against Goliath. There it's called Ephes Demim. It actually means the cessation of blood. It's pointing to the cross. The victory that ends the need for blood sacrifice. And Goliath means splendor. And so David destroyed the splendor of the enemy as a boy. And I just saw it in my heart. It was actually a vision I saw. I shared it with you last week of these guys. Everyone's running away. And this man comes across this. It wasn't maybe the exact spot, but the area where Goliath was defeated, and something rises up in his heart. And he turns, and he says, you can go no further. If I die, I die. You go no further. And you know, there's something of that, this incense against, sin against God's nature. Because the Bible says that the scepter of the wicked will not settle on the land allotted to the righteous. Bible says that. And David stood there, I believe, doesn't say this, looking at that man when he was a boy. He said, you uncircumcised Philistine, uncircumcised, points to the covenant of Abraham. You're standing on the land that was promised to Abraham. How dare you defy God on his ground? And something comes up in this man, this, and, and I've experienced it, like an anger. It's, it's like a righteous anger. And you say, no more. You don't touch God's people. My family, my life, it's like that's enough. And the cost that you were afraid to, whatever the cost is, doesn't matter anymore. It's just no further. You know, Martin Luther did that, 1500s, when they threatened him. And and he said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. It's that place in the heart. And many of you this year will come, and there are already some of you are coming to that place. So there he makes a stand. You know, imagine that. just It's like something in his heart says, he turns to the enemy and says, you're standing where mightier enemies than you have been slain. Now you're in trouble. Something rose up in his heart. And he takes the sword and he fights and the sword becomes frozen or claven to his, his hand is like formed around the sword. You know, it, 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 he fought for so long that it, it, every, all his muscles, everything, and who's ever experienced a small bit of that? I have a very little bit with like a tool, you know, and, but he fought for hours and hours. And they had to probably pry open, you know, and it's like that. When you stand on the ground of previous victories, other victories in your life, which we'll get into specifics, but all victories, the greatest ground you can stand on is the harvest. He was standing in a field of barley. He's standing in a harvest that he he never sowed that field. You know, we stand on the victory of Jesus Christ at the point, at the cessation of blood, where all blood no longer needed to be shed because of what Jesus did. When we learn to stand there and say, you go no further, We're standing on ground that was given to us. You cannot have this. You know, and if I die, I die. There's something that rises up in the heart. And in that place, you become formed around the Word. The Word doesn't change. You change. His hand became formed around a sword. The sword didn't change. His hand changed. So... We're going to get into some specifics. I'm, I'm praying that it's for some of you it's personal. For some of you it's your family. It's something in your life that you just, you're just running from. For, something, it's, for some of you it's according to maybe your sphere of influence. It's what's happening in the schools or what's happening in your workplace or what's happening in the nation. But there's something that God is bringing to the hearts of people that says, I stand with him. And we don't do it in a way that hurts flesh and blood Yeah? So, standing. How do you stand when all others run? Well, it will start in private, and then it will end in public. What did it say? It said, they strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. And it starts there. It starts, you see, they had learned to strengthen themselves. In 1 Samuel 30, it says, when they wanted to kill David, it says, David was deeply distressed. Everyone wanted to stone him because they had taken all the wives and children. And so it says, he strengthened himself in the Lord. So the people who arrived, you know, at the cave with David, and I I was going to give you all the scriptures, but we don't have the time. It says they arrived distressed, discontented, and in debt. That word discontented means bitter. The bitterness, the the people of the Lord that are just bitter. You know, they arrive with bitterness, bitterness of soul. They're discontented, they're in debt, they're distressed, they're anxiety. And it's like they come to this man. And then they want to kill him a little bit later on. (laughs) <laughs> but they see him do something. He doesn't come against them. He sees him walk away and strengthen himself in the Lord, his God. It says, his God. There's a personal relationship there. And later, those people become the mighty men of David. It's, I imagine that conversation. Listen, remember when we wanted to kill you? So sorry. But what did you do? We want to learn how to do that. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So the first point or clue I want to speak to you about, in order to strengthen yourself, how do you strengthen yourself when everyone else is running? Everyone else is bowing to culture. Everyone else is just going along. How do you stand? Learn that when God stirs the heart, pay attention. See, in Exodus 3, it says... Moses was tending the flock. I'll just go to verse 2. He was looking after the flock in the desert of his father Jethro. And it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush does not burn or is not consumed. Verse 4, extremely important. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. You know, I've seen many a people, myself included, is God, he stirs the heart. You know, because a burning bush, again, I won't get into it, was something that used to happen there frequently in the desert. He had been there for 40 years. He's seen it many times so God stirs the heart it's something we've seen before it's something yeah it's a scripture but all of a sudden it's like someone's preaching and it's a verse and they say something and it's like oh or you're driving in your car or you're sitting somewhere and God just draws the heart or whatever it is there's multiple someone will say a a passing comment that has nothing to do with even what they're talking about something grabs your attention that's the Lord He's stirring your heart. He's saying, come aside, I want to speak to you. What happens is the body of Christ gets used to the thrill of principle. Wow, that's an amazing truth. Hmm, that's wonderful. And then let's carry on. You know, it's like God is there in a burning bush saying, come here. God never spoke to him until he turned aside. The God of Abraham there, burning with fire, with power, and he sees it. I've seen this before. It's a little different. Hmm. That's very interesting. Off we go. I see it all the time. There's moments where God will stir the heart. When I started in ministry, I found that one of the greatest places I would discover things of the kingdom was when something would strike my heart when someone was preaching or doing whatever, then I went home and I sat down and I thought, what? That struck me. What was that? And I looked up the scripture and I prayed the scripture. It's like I went home and I, I did something very simple. And it's like something opens up. You're like, whoa. Now you've, you're growing. You see, when God stirs the heart, friends, however that is for you. I was with Richard Dias a little while ago. We were playing golf. No, I mean, he was at work. He had the work. He's on a work call playing golf. It was awesome. But he's, a, he's at work. He's like, I'm in the office, literally, going the whole time we're playing. There's a conversation There's some, he must be gifted. And he said, you know, I preached a sermon that had nothing to do with this, and I made a passing comment. Jesus treated his disciples different than he treated the crowd because he wanted the disciples to carry what he carried, he just wanted to bless the crowd. Little comment, passing comment. He treated them very differently. He said that it had nothing to do with, he said That's, that penetrated my heart. Then turn aside to it. Take the time. <laughs> because eternity is speaking to you. Consider that. Eternity is speaking to you. There's something I want to show you that will assist you for later in your life. Turn aside to it. Take the time. I know it sounds so simple, but friends, I encourage you to do it. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him. Moses, Moses. You know, take the time. There are some signs, just very briefly, that God is stirring my heart. Besides the obvious, I long for the Lord, I want to see, you know, besides for that. that I've just found in my life, and when I've asked other people very quickly, and they're not going to come up behind me, they're not fancy when a person becomes unfulfilled in what once fascinated them, that's actually the Lord stirring the heart. You may not know it. that once like, "Wow," And then, mm, yeah. that's the Lord saying, "There's more for you, my son, my daughter." When things that never used to bug you start to bug you. You're watching a movie, it used to be fine, never used to bug you, but now all the stuff, things that were once okay, then that's not okay anymore. That's the Lord. He's not saying, "You bad person, He's stirring your heart. Turn aside to it. When you're pensive about life, the Bible actually asks the question, "What is my life?" It gives a good answer. I won't tell you where it is or what the answer is, so you can go, "Look. When you're just pensive about life, and what am I doing here?" that's the Lord, friends, stirring you. Come aside. And then obvious, the drawing to scriptures, to power, to prayer, to praise. I find also when the desire for family creeps in, even if you've had a terrible family, there's something you start thinking about your childhood or family. Yes, go find your family or, or, you know, do something in the natural. It's the Lord stirring your heart. Because there's an eternal family that is longing for you to stand So, secondly, identity. How do you stand your ground when others run? Strengthen yourself in your identity. It says they strengthen themselves with him in the kingdom. And I find these things are the things you strengthen yourselves in private. These things, you strengthen yourself when no one else is around. You strengthen yourself first in private before you can ever do it in public. And all these things are in private. And I I wrote you have to learn to put on what he wants for you as a garment. You have to learn to put it on. Isaiah 52 says, awake, awake. That's God touching the heart. That's salvation. Boom. Something comes alive. Awake, awake. Put on strength. Strengthen yourself. Put on strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. And then it carries on from there. Garments in the Old Testament were identifying characteristics. You had warrior's garments, worshiping garments, kingly garments, priestly garments. You could look from a distance and say, there are this, there are that, there are that. It says, strengthen yourself how? Put on your garment. There are things that he has won for you that we have to learn. He has won them, but we have to put them on. We have to learn to put it on. He cannot do that for you. And I believe with all my heart that identity begins. And, and, you know, people say, oh, there's all this talk about identity. You know, it's all about us. It's really not. See, the Lord doesn't respond to the enemy. How many of you know that? The enemy has to respond to the Lord. The Lord initiates. The Lord doesn't be like, what's the enemy doing? So there's an entire generation right now that is lost, have no clue who they even are. The Lord, the speaking and the truth that's coming out of the church, coming out of people's, coming out of preachers, identity, identity. It's not trying to make it all about people and not about God. And the Lord's been doing it first, so the response of the enemy is to try to take a whole generation away. Hello? It is true. And I believe that the the interwoven truth of who God is And who you are forms your identity. It's not about you. It's who God is and who you are together. That is what forms your identity. Now your identity starts when you get saved. I won't get into that. But when you're born again, that's the real you. That's who you really are. And you were expensive. You really were. The highest price ever paid was paid for you. So don't sell cheap. Really don't. You were expensive. You know, don't sell cheap. And it becomes interwoven with who God is and with who you are. The word conversion, I said this to the discovery class last week. The word convert or conversion actually means revolution. So when you were saved, there was like a government coup. There was a coup that went on in your heart. There was an overthrow of authority. There was a revolution that happened inside you. Authorities were switched, thrones were switched, and the Lord took his seat. That's what happened when you got saved. And your identity is actually learning to obey that. It's learning to obey the one who sits on the throne of your eyes, your heart, your mind, your, your hands, your feet, your mouth. He sits on the throne. When you learn to obey him, and it's not, you know, there's different forms of obedience. I find there's fear-based obedience. I better obey or else. That's the legalism driven factor. There is a fear based obedience. It's still better than disobedience. I'm just being real. Because obedience is great, it means you can hear the Lord. Obedience is actually very, very exciting. But there's a fear based, I better or else. There's also principle based obedience. That is largely what I see in the body of Christ. That's I give so I can get. I'm going to take the principles of the Lord and I'm going to work them. Then there's a the love-based obedience. That's a whole different thing. It doesn't matter about... I just want Him. Just Him. Nothing else. Reward doesn't even come into it. I just want Him. That's the greatest prize. Jesus said, if you love me... You'll obey me. I said it five times in one chapter. But identity, friends. See, the next thing it says there, it talks about Eliezer's name. And I said this last week. Eliezer, son of Jedi, Elohite If you put those together in the Hebrew, it means God has helped. His beloved, that was the name of his father. His beloved or belonging to love. Aohite means brother of rest. This man, Eliezer, believed that God wanted to help him. Most people do not. That was his identity. He believed that his father loved him. A father in heaven. He believed that his brother was of rest. In the Hebrew that means he sat down. It's speaking about rulership. We have a brother who has ascended and has sat down. All things are conquered. He was secure in that. He wasn't. He was a broken mess, but he learned to strengthen himself with David in his kingdom. That's in private. Something had been settled. He wasn't trying to prove himself. Practically, I've said it before, I'm just being vulnerable, I struggled greatly with insecurity. I don't even know why. I had great parents, a great, 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 great uncle, and you know, all these wonderful things. But I just, it was like I just struggled. Now I'm free. But I had this struggle. It's like trying to prove yourself. Trying to prove yourself. And people do it with the things of the Spirit. I'm a prophet or I'm a this. Or it's, it, there's this necessity to, you know, it's just an insecurity. And the Lord's, He'll work it out. But I did this very thing. I took the Scriptures. I used to have cards, actually. I used to have, I still got an old one, I think, somewhere. I had my Bible remade, redone. uh, Lists of scriptures that I went home and I used to speak them out. And there was such an insecurity in me at times because I went into ministry young. Some of the stuff age will just bash out of you. As you grow older, you're like, yeah, I just don't care anymore. You know, age just takes it out. But when you're in ministry and you're young, you learn those lessons in front of everybody else. And I used to go even into social settings before preaching, before ministry. Little things like, and I had this long list. I wrote a few down just out of my head. Galatians 4, you are no longer a slave but a son. If a son, then an heir. And I would say it. I'm a son. I'm an heir. He loves me. I have nothing to prove. Until it became real. I knew it here, but it wasn't here because of the way I reacted to situations. Colossians, he conveyed me into the kingdom of the Son of his love. I would say that over. He conveyed me. He conveyed me. He must love me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified me to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Colossians, I would say it again. He qualified me. My Father qualified me. I don't have to qualify myself. I have peace with God. Romans 5. God's not looking. I'm at peace. The Father has made me sufficient as a minister of the new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3 literally says that. I have these lists and I would read them over and over and over. And then it's like it turned and it became less about me and the list became more about the Lord. And then you turn around one day and you realize, wow, I I know him. And he knows me. And it's different. You just have nothing to prove. Amen. That's number one. (laughs) Heaven help me. Standing when all others run. Talk a little bit about public. You've learned to strengthen yourself in private. Now the public. You've learned to stand in the place of testimony. 2 Samuel 23 verse 9 to 10 says, And after him... Was Eliezer, the son of Dodo? We read at the Euphyte. One of the three mighty men with David. That really struck me. It means there were four people. Now we don't fight against flesh and blood. Like I've said, when you stand, how do you do that practically? How do I learn to stand in the place of testimony? How do I, when everyone else is running? How people are like great testimony, great stand up. What do I do? Stand in the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, you know it, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, i put it up as a list behind you to show you what should, you know, hopefully some of the, the sentences that I've put there, it should strike you. Because when you separate it out, it helps. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. High thing, the demonic in the old places, everything used to be called in something called the high places. See, what happens is when the Bible speaks about the knowledge of God, it is speaking about our knowledge of God. It's also speaking about what God knows to be true, God's knowledge. So what happens is something comes along, a thought, it's, it's actually a demonic thing or a, even a personal, and something and everything's okay, and then something all of a sudden it exalts itself. It's a self-exalted thing. That's how you know it's not from the Lord. It suddenly something comes up in competition what God knows to be true. Or what you know here about yourself or about him. It's, it's exalted against the knowledge of God about what he knows to be true about you. And now this, and it's like a distraction. It's this, it's this high thing. Any carnal weapon you employ against that thought, against that lie, will do nothing. But when you employ this that thing will come down. But the text was they were with David. You know this is in the days when the kings went to battle. So David was the fourth man. So I want to I want you to imagine just for a second. They're all running, yeah? They're all running. They didn't station themselves to start in the barley field. Can we agree? That's not the best, you know. So they're running. They come upon this place. So then Eleazar turns. But who's with him? David. Think about this the one who killed bears and a lion and a giant, the one who was called, slain these thousands and tens of thousands. He's there. Yet Eleazar turned. David's the king. We have to learn that at times, what does it mean when we say, well, God is with us? The king is with you. But sometimes you have to turn. (laughs) I see this as it's like, you know, a Hulk button. You know, the Hulk? It's like, imagine activating David, like, boop. (laughs) Because his man, his friend, has turned to face the enemy. And all of a sudden, David becomes activated, the one who has slain tens of thousands, the one who killed a bear, the one who killed a lion, the king. And now you face the king. Oh, boy. You know, there are times in your life where the Lord will wait for you to turn, and then he turns. And then they're looking in the eyes of the one who defeated death. Death. And then you get the victory. Because of the one standing behind you. And often the is, Lord, do something. Lord, do something. He's like, Lord, I'm just waiting for you to turn. But the king is with you. Even when you're running, the king is with you. Young people, hear me, please. Even when you're running, the king is with you. <laughs> he is with you. If you turn, all bets are off. Boop. Activate Jesus. Boop. Something arises inside of you. He is with you. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They wouldn't bow to the culture, they refuse. What happens? They get thrown in the fire. What does the king say? He exclaimed, I see four men loose walking in the fire, burnt off all their bonds. They are not hurt. And the fourth is like the image of the Son of God. Yeah. You know what their response was? If we die, yeah, I'm not bowing if I die. Because sometimes people will say, I will turn, but I also want to dictate the result. God, you better do this, you better do this, you better do this. No, 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 no. You turn and trust the Lord. And He's with you in the fire. They came out of there and said, it did not even smell like smoke. Why does that happen? Because you've spent time strengthening yourself with Him with him in his kingdom in the safe place you've spent time strengthening yourself now you know who he is and you know a little bit of who you are and you come to a place and you just say no more no more you don't touch God's people (laughs) sorry what's chasing you? fear of future? Anxiety, debt, insecurity, culture, the state of the world. Remember the one who is with you. And remember who he actually is. We read it this morning. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood the one who stands with you? But you turn first. Last point, maybe throw that out there. George taught me. Paul said finally in Philippians twice, so we're good. When it says, 1 Chronicles 11, when it says, after him, Eleazar and so forth, and it says, he was with David at Pastor Meme, and I've explained that already. You stand, to, to stand where everyone else is running. Learn to stand, yes, in the place of the knowledge of God. Stand in what you, stand in the knowledge of God. Also learn to stand in the knowledge of victory. They stationed themselves and they defended. It says they stationed. One man arose and they stationed. And I said this last week. There are people all around you that are waiting for you for your victory. One arose. They stationed themselves and it says they defended. Now, I was going to give you all the scriptures. Can I just read you one and then just speak quickly so we can go through it? It says Ephesians 6, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. There it is there. You've done all you know, just stand. There's someone with you. Then it says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. It's interesting that the sword hangs on the belt, right? (laughs) The sword hangs on truth. Above all, it says, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith. Now I'm not going to get into the whole armor of God. It's one of the things I love to preach about. But the shield of faith. Why is it called faith? Because it's becoming convinced about the greater reality of the unseen realm. So hear me when I say this. When defense biblically, defending yourself biblically in the New Testament is not to defend yourself. That's a carnal weapon. I've I, I meant this, and this is true, and that's not true, and whatever. No, no, no. Any time we employ that carnal weapon, it's not going to work. The, the shield of faith begins to work, only begins to work when we stop fighting flesh and blood. Please hear that. Because we are, fight, we are understanding the greater reality of the unseen realm. So we know that's useless. In the Roman days, they had a shield, big shield. Uh, there will be a picture come behind you, I think. You know what they used to do before battle? For a couple of days, they would let that shield sit in water. It became much heavier, so obviously you had to be strong. But that's okay, because they had been strengthening themselves with him in his kingdom. Just threw that out there. But they would soak it in water, and it would become soaked. Soaked. Why? So when the darts, when the arrows that had fire would hit the wood, the fire would go out. And then when an arrow got through, they had the Roman sword was a gladius. It was only about that long. It wasn't very big. It wasn't like the, the Viking. It wasn't very big. Why? Very purposeful. When an arrow got through, they would actually turn that sword on themselves and use it to dig out the arrow. Friends, we have to understand (laughs) they defended it. How? It's on your knees. It's saturating yourself in the presence of the Lord. And your shield is soaked. And that that lie that is hot with fire in your mind about you, that, that reputation that's being destroyed out there, that's not true, it's hot with fire. It's like eh, it loses, it just goes out. That's not going to happen if you run out there defending it. You saturate yourself with him in the presence of the Lord. And these things hit all around you. And, you know, you see those people. How does that not bug him? How does that... The shield is soaked with water. But then every once in a while, one gets through. And you yelp. And it hurts. Well, that's okay. You reach out and you take your sword. And you know how to do this now. Because you've strengthened yourself with him in his kingdom. And you turn it on yourself. And you have to say it, Lord, I bless that person. Lord, this is not who I am. Lord, and you dig them out. Psalm 17 is one of my favorite. In the presence of the Lord will come my vindication. Look upon me, see that I have a, actually let me read it to you. I don't want to misquote it. I think I have it here somewhere. Hear a just cause. I tell you the amount of times I've done this. It's like you're digging that out. Hear a just cause, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, Lord, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You know my heart, Lord. That's not... You're digging out an arrow. <laughs> if it's ministry-based, while you have those scriptures, Lord, you desire to bless... You, you take the sword and you turn it on yourself. And you dig out the life... This alone will pierce between, what does the Bible say? Bone and marrow and soul and spirit. There are some arrows, it's like they go in between. And nothing else can go down there and get it out but this. <laughs> so there are seasons, where I, I just I have to go every day into his presence, Lord. I, I choose you. I don't understand, but I choose you. And that, that potent lie, that it just melts. What about an addiction? What about a repeated issue? Take your little identity cards that I used to have, make your own. Lord, I'm still righteous, digging out the arrows. You still love me, you're not disappointed. You're still my father, I'm still your son. You digging it out. Lastly, what happens? To God be the glory. The Bible says, the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord brought about a great victory. But for me, the greatest prize is that man. You see, when you stand, when you learn to stand in the place of testimony, stand on the knowledge of God. Remember who's with you. Remember how he thinks about you. Remember what the name he calls you. And stand in the knowledge of the victory that he won the splendor of the enemy has been destroyed. Stand on that victory. At times you have to soak your shield. At times you have to, that's they—they def- they station, and you have to pick out the arrows that get through. But the greatest thing is at the end, it says, that all the people that are running, some of the people who are f- firing the arrows, because it's sad but true in the body of Christ, most arrows are friendly fire. And some of those people, they come back and they get to spoil. They get to take all the plunder. But what's the prize that Eliezer got? Something of eternity has become forged to him. That word claven means joined. Something of God has become joined to him. (laughs) That's the prize, friends. Christ, something becomes formed to you of eternity and it will never leave you. Now you can serve mankind. Why? Because that enemy will never be able to stand before you again. Because the truth, the authority of God in that area is forged to you. It's an extension of your arm. And now you see it in another, another person's life. And you say, move, leave, be gone. And it just bows and bows. Not to you, to what's been forged to you. Amen. I hope that helps you. Very practical. I was trying to be practical. My questions I want to ask you for you to think about. What's your barley field? What's your barley field? Where's the Lord causing you to make a stand? You know, don't run. Really don't run because he's with you. He really, really is with you. For some of you, it's like God's been knocking on your heart. You know, I'm here, I'm here, turn. For some of you, you're in a season where it's just all out battle. It's like I've been slaying things, man. You know, it's just dead things all around you. And you just feel, you're just like, when's this going to end? I would encourage you. Soak your shield. Put down your sword for a second and get into his presence. Because like, it's like when people have been just fighting, it's like the shield's on fire, you know? It's the smoke I can't see. We've got trouble here. You know, there's a problem. Yeah, soak your shield. There's one group that I'm going to ask for a response. And it's going to take humility to respond, but not the kind of humility you think. The real kind. Some of you is like you know in your heart, other people haven't seen it, but you know in your heart, God has already forged something to me. There's something that you carry, but it's like you you haven't found an outlet for it. But you know, God, these things have been forged to me. But you don't have yet direction on that season, Lord. And I say it takes humility, because it actually takes greater humility to acknowledge something that God's done. You know, because you have to, well, everyone's going to think they're proud. You get over all that stuff. If that's you, you're saying, Lord, there's something forged. We've won some battles. But I don't know what to do with it. Or I don't know where I'm going with it. I, it seems I'm still up there, but I've you know, got all these wonderful weapons. I'm like, now what? If that's you, could you stand, please? Whoever you are. I'm just going to simply Pray. And all I'm going to ask is that the Lord give you direction. Is that the Lord speak to you and remind you of what he's already done. And then you guys just respond to the Lord in your own heart. Because there's some people in this room that nations, you know, will open to you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you can do, only what you can do. And so now, I pray, Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Father, I pray. Remind them, Lord. The mighty men, the mighty women of God. Remind them. Let them see again. There are fresh battlefields for some of you. There are fresh crowds for some of you. There are fresh places that need what you carry. Lord, commission today, I pray. Let mantles be realized, recognized. Let's just give the Lord a moment here. And Lord, we just say, no more friendly fire. No more fire from people against people, Lord. No more friendly fire. Lord, let the prophets arise. Let the evangelists arise, Lord. Let let your people find victory in each other, I pray. Oh, God, let your kingdom come. Your will, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Just take a moment, respond to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Bless you all.